Hi, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com. Very thankful for your presence and for another great Bible conversation, this time with Brother Brooks Criswell. Brooks goes to the Fossil Creek Congregation here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I heard this study at a gospel meeting that we had, and I approached him and said, you've got to come on the podcast. So he was gracious enough to join me and record the, the, that sermon in more of a conversational format, and it's about trusting God. And I thought it was such a great conversation because it was a healthy space for someone to have questions and not feel threatened by asking those questions about belief in God or doubts or anything where they're asking from a point of faith. Uh, I really going to think you're, that you're going to like it. Um, I don't want to spoil any more than that. So let's just jump into the conversation, shall we? What I like to do first is I ask uh, the guys who come on just to give us a word about themselves, you know, who, where they're from, where they go to church, you know, their family, that kind of stuff. So in case anybody doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell us about yourself for a minute? Well, my name is Brooks Criswell. I am from Fossil Creek Church of Christ Congregation here in Fort Worth, Texas. Originally from Kansas City, though, you may know my parents and grandparents. Mike Criswell is my father. Roy Lee Criswell is his dad. And then on my mom's side, Ron Alexander also was a preacher for some amount of time. So what that, pedigree. Uh, <laughs> so now that I've set myself up to fail for everyone else, that at least gives you a little bit of background. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm just tingling with excitement in, in the presence of such, you know, blue blood. I think you might have had too much coffee. <laughs> Uh, and you are married to the lovely Kaylee. She uh, agreed very kindly to to be my wife <laughs> eight years ago now, just about. Okay, all right. And you're about to be a dad. Well, you are a dad, but you're about to in meet the, your son in the next few months. Lord willing, in the end of August, we'll get to meet him. So okay. super exciting. Very Terrifying, exciting. but exciting. Okay. Buckle up. That's what I've heard. I've, everyone seems to say it changes your life forever, and then they're quick to interject, but it's a good thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, well. But they always emphasize the change before they get to the good part. <laughs> so, but no, we're, we're super excited. Couldn't be happier. Um, the Apostle Paul lived a different lifestyle, and he says he wishes that everyone could be as he was. I, I think because of that present distress, you know, what was going on presently is probably how he came to that conclusion. But I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't be the man I am today without my wife or without my kids. And so you've experienced for the past eight years uh, the love of a godly woman. But now to add to that being a father to a child, I think you're going to just uh, be over the moon about it. I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am. It's, it gives you, at least from what I've heard, it seems to, I'm looking forward to, to a lot of the new insight it gives you on God's relationship to us as children. Yes. Yeah. Did, did you notice, by the way, that I didn't say it changes you? I started out by saying how great it was. I appreciate that. Yeah. It does change you, though. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. If nothing else, my sleep habits as I reach for my yeah. cup of coffee here. Yeah. And uh, have you changed a diaper before? Um, on a real child? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say yes. Okay. No. I hadn't changed a diaper. I, I had this... Uh, I don't know, just silly rule. I was not going to change a diaper before I changed 
the one of my own children's diapers, and, and so I did. Um, and I, other than our kids, which when you want to talk about change, that's change is changing diapers. Whew. All right, so we are not here to just chat about life and kids. Although, if you want to, I, I'm very happy to keep rolling with it. Um, you preached at uh, Valley Parkway at our Memorial Day meeting. So for those who aren't familiar with that, the congregation I'm a part of and the congregation you're part of, we're in the same metro area, right? They're probably like 20 miles apart, 25, who knows. And the purpose of this meeting was to invite a, a congregational teacher or preacher from each congregation to preach. And you represented Fossil Creek. So you came and preached this study, and I thought, I need this as a conversation because I want to ask questions. I almost raised my hand, you know, as you were preaching, being like, hold on, hold on, Brooks. What about this? What about that? So, as long as you extended my time, that would have been totally fine. <laughs> so we're going to study in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, which for the podcast enthusiasts, I think about a year ago, Brother Greg Gay studied that with me on this program. Now, y'all kind of approach it different. He was... Uh, after a different kind of application than what this is. And I feel like what you're after, so I'm, I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, but the way it kind of starts out about making a safe place for inquiry, that really caught my eye. And so that's why I've invited you here. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that's a good way, I think that's a good intro for it because one of the things that I'm trying to get across through this lesson is that we all have doubts. We're not doing anyone any favors by trying to hide them or not acknowledge them. And we need to be able to discuss those things. And we need to still be able to have a sense of peace and a sense of faith, even in those, those times of doubt. So one of the things that I, as I'm going through this lesson in Second Samuel, because it's not, it's not an overly pleasant, at least in my mind, section of scripture. It seems pretty harsh. It seems, uh, very condemnatory on God's part. Mm-hmm. And as you're going very fair. Yeah. And as you're going through this, it, these are the kinds of things where I'm thought, well, man, this would be a passage that I would have doubts about that. I would think how, how can this be the same God that you all are preaching to me about from other passages of scripture? And so as I considered the passage and I, um, I've been doing a Bible study with Nathan Batty and one of the commentaries we read talked about this section, and, and it talked specifically about doubting that God did the right thing. And we'll get to this later on, but the, the main plug for this is that if you doubt that God did the right thing, maybe that's coming from a place of not being able to trust God. Mm. And so the question arises, well, how do you trust God? How do you learn to trust anyone? And again, not to spoil the entire point, but the main purpose is to get to know who he is and get to know him better. And then even when things don't make sense, if you have a good understanding of who he is, you can feel a security in that. Oh, you're, you're speaking my language right now because secure attachment, that secure bond uh, is something that I use in the therapy room. And so when couples come in and they're in high distress, usually it's because there's an insecure bond and that insecurity is just reverberating in a lot of different areas of their relationship by res- that 
like I cut through the the content pieces. So they'll tell me about how each other's this and that. And I'm really not interested in, in, in the content as much as I am to cut through to get to that insecurity. And if we can have a secure bond, it's funny how quickly that cycle kind of balances out and, and, and stabilizes. So for me, what I'm hearing is is if I can feel safe and, and secure with God, then when I do get to these troubling passages, even if I don't understand it, I'm still going to trust him. Is that kind of what we're going to be learning today? 100%, or at least I, I hope that's the point to get across. And this isn't something, obviously, that you can get from one lesson. It takes a lot of time to get to that place with anyone, but especially with with God. There's so much to learn and so much to understand. Um, so it's it's a process for sure. But I think if we can approach it that way and say, hey, okay, I've got doubts here but I know who God is in other sections. I know he doesn't change from what he says in James 1 and 17. So if I've got that as my base understanding, if I feel secure in that relationship, mm-hmm. then even when something doesn't make sense, I'm able to still trust him and know mm. could, because I can trust him in other areas. So I'm going to ask you a really personal question. This may or may not make the cut depending on how comfortable <laughs> you are with it. Have you ever had doubts? Oh, 100%. 100%. I truly believe... I mean, it, maybe someone's better better than I give them credit for, but I truly believe anyone who said they've never had a doubt is either fooling themselves or they've not thought deeply enough about the Bible because I, one of the things that I, I think I, I forget what I brought up in the shorter version of my lesson versus the longer, but one of the things I, I brought up is that, you know, God has made us to be inquisitive. I mean, look at the things that we have all around us. We, we want to figure out how things work. We invent, we create. God has made us to want to understand how things work. And he's also commanded us that we get to know him, that we seek him. Um, I think about uh, the verse in Matthew, you know, love me with your whole heart, all your mind, all your soul, all right. that. And to truly be able to invest our entire self into God, that crea- that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of um, wrestling with things and putting our mind into things. So when we're doing that, it's it, you can't help but have questions and even maybe let's call them doubts that arise. I think that's only natural. If God has made us inquisitive and he wants us to seek after him, then, I mean, you, do, you don't really have much of a relationship with someone if you don't ask them questions. Mm. I try to think if, if I came home to, to Kaylee and only told her statements over and over and over how how well our evening would go and probably not overly well. Sure. So it's it's a similar thing with God, um, needing to be able to, to understand that we're going to have those doubts. And then a couple uh, short caveats, and I may be jumping over what you've oh, already got go for it. me lined up for, but one, um, doubts are normal. I want If nothing else, I want to normalize that for everyone, that you will have doubts. They're normal. It's okay. You are not wrong for having doubts. You are Mm -hmm. not sinning by having doubts. God does not love you less because you have doubts and questions. As a matter of fact, I think you could even argue that maybe the person who has doubts in that moment is closer than the person who feels like they've had all the answers because when you have doubts, if you allow that to help you focus on him and his will, if you allow that to help you grapple with the truth, you're thinking about him more than the other person who thinks mm. they've got it all figured out. So the important thing is not that we have doubts, but it's it's more so what we do with them. Sure, sure. And one of the things I, I pointed out, just as a side note, it doesn't help anyone 
to deny doubts. It doesn't help anyone to shame them for doubts. And I think this is something I'm, I'm afraid of, to be honest, as a parent, because, you know, your initial reaction is someone comes to you with a question or a doubt and it's like, oh, how far is this going to lead? Are they, <laughs> you know, are, they, are they, are they going too far off the rails and we need to take a step back. And I think a lot of that comes from doubts that I've had. And when someone else asks me about that doubt, if it's not something I've dealt with already personally, because I've got some of my own insecurities, my initial reaction is going to be to try and push them away, to silence them. It just weakens mm. our faith below the surface. Mm. So mm. it's a it's a fine line. You do have to try and deal with doubts and ask questions. But the how, I think, is what it ro- really boils down to. One, um, our attitude absolutely matters because... We're never going to have all the answers, as nice as that would be. At the end of the day, even when we have doubts, we still need to be willing to put things in God's hands Mm -hmm. and say, even though I don't understand, I don't have the answers, I'm still going to choose to trust you. Yeah. So that's an important thing to remember with doubts is, again, it's not wrong to have doubts, but we do still need to make sure that we're handling them appropriately, even when looking for answers. There's a scripture in James 1 I'm going to want your feedback on at some point in the study. So I think we're going to circle back to doubts a little later. So I'll try to remember to to ask you about it there. But attitude, like you just mentioned, is so important because maybe it's my own insecurity, but when I hear you talk about doubt, I immediately think about really kind of what's popular in culture right now, which is kind of deconstructing faith and, and just pulling it apart piece by piece. And in that model, uh, doubt really is glorified. Like, it becomes an idol, I would say. Like, doubt is seen as uh, as, as the, the greatest possible attribute that a person could have. What I liked about what you said, though, is that God made us to be inquiring. And I remember one time... Uh, you know, I was a very young preacher and a, a man whom I love dearly. Uh, we were having a conversation, and it really was kind of like the we were using logic, you know, deductive reasoning to get to a point. And I was like, we we shouldn't use this. We should use the scripture. And 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 he said, but Jonathan, God gave us a mind to work things out, and so we have what the scriptures reveal, but we also have a mind that God wants us to use. And I thought, oh. Light bulb. That was great. <laughs> so I'm true. with you. I'm with you on this. It's uh, it seems like maybe we'll like qualify doubt in this because maybe some people are are like me. They're thinking about James chapter one about let them not ask in doubt. You know, mm. or washing around in in the waves of doubt, so to speak. But what I'm hearing from you, it's really I'm having. Uh, questions about a relationship and not that I don't want to be in it. I want to be in this relationship with God. It's just I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to make sense of it. And I love what you said about uh, questions with Kaylee versus statements. It'd be the same with Marissa. In fact, I've, I'm notorious for like coming home from work. How was your day? Fine. It was good. Like those statements, they do nothing for our conversation. If anything, it brings insecurity into the the moment yeah i can sympathize with that (laughs) so we uh people have been probably biting their nails saying when are they going to read from second samuel 24 (laughs) we'll Uh, get to it we'll get to it but i'm curious 
how this event in history is influencing this uh, conversation that we're having about inquiring and doubts, etc. For somebody who maybe hasn't read this scripture, can you summarize kind of what happens in this chapter and 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 why uh, David did, or maybe what David did, and and etc. Sure. Well, so 2 Samuel 24, it comes uh, towards the end of David's life and reign as the king of Israel. Uh, there's also a parallel passage in 2 Chronicles, I believe, although I forget the actual reference, so you may plug that in later. Um, but essentially the story is David is getting towards the end of his reign, and he wants to see how successful of a king he's been, if I can of insert some of my supposed motivation for his actions he says to his commander joab you know go number the people go see how vast the nation of israel is and and there's nothing wrong with that per se because they did it before like in true. the book of numbers for example they their censuses sensei sensi whatever the <laughs> i think that's a brand you yeah. might have to but at any rate but so, yeah, like th- this is a really perplexing census because, like you're saying, you have to almost project that he has an ulterior motive. It's not just about numbering the people. Yeah, because uh, to my knowledge, to this point, we've never been explicitly told you shall not number the people. You know, uh, it was never the 11th commandment. So for all of a sudden, we read David wanting to do this, and then all of a sudden to see God condemning him for this action— it immediately sets you up to scratch your head and think, what is going on here? Right. And and one more for the, the Bible history buff out there. Anytime that a guy named Joab cautions you from doing something, you should probably heed his advice because he was a bad dude. He was a he had a lot of blood on his hands. And when David says, go number the people, and Joab goes, uh, I don't think this is a good idea, you could tell that David had a... a a sinful or evil motive, because even Joab, who is kind of his butcher, uh, says, don't do this, right? You beat me to the punch on that one. Oh, I did? <laughs> uh, it's okay, because it wasn't in my notes. But yeah, I think I think that was something Nathan had said in one of his studies. He's like, if you know, if a guy, if Joab's ever telling you to do something, like, there should be some major red flags. <laughs> I mean, this was the guy who murdered numerous fairly innocent people, or at least people who were under David's protection at the time, simply because it suited his own interests. So right. he, he wasn't exactly the person you think, oh, well, he's the epitome of righteousness, so right. of course he's going to condemn this. And so David kind of overrules Joab, says, go do it. So Joab and and others go out for several months, and uh, or some undisclosed amount of time, they, they then come back, and what happens next? So as soon, at least seemingly from the text, as soon as Joab comes back to the king and reports that, hey, you've got 700,000, 300,000 men ready to draw the sword, ready to to fight for you in an army, David immediately has a change of heart, Mm. or at least according to the verses as you read them, he immediately realizes, oh, okay, I've I've messed up. This This is not what I should have been doing, and my... My thought is that maybe he was becoming a little too reliant at the end of his reign on his military prowess, his military mind. I mean, you remember he was a he was a fighter all the way through through his reign, but it was always God who they were supposed to trust in, never their chariots, never their horses, never their men. But whatever the case may be, David's heart pricks him, and he prays and says, 
you know, Lord, I've, I've sinned, so I pray that you'll take away this iniquity. Mm. Well, this the next... Is, this is like the, the man after God's own heart coming back. Like he stepped aside, and the, another part of his heart that was proud seems to have taken over, whatever, if it's pride or whatever. But now that, yeah, that prick comes back pretty quick because he's a man after God's own mm. heart. Yeah, and I think... Uh, so I, I think David wrestled. Well, I mean, we saw, we see several pretty tremendous sins in his life, but he always, one thing that you, is easily admired about him is he always is, was quick to come back. He never put idols in front of the Lord. He always, he always had his heart, at least at the end, attuned with, with God. Huh. You know, I never thought about it before, but you're right. He never worshiped an idol other no. than the idol of his own lust or pride. Right. But as far as like actual, uh, he never brought another false god, little g, into into the worship like his son did, or like other, so many other like kings. All of them yeah, did pretty much every other king you can read about. <laughs> but be that as it may, so he's he's repentant, but unfortunately, sometimes there's still consequences for for our mistakes. And so right. it's like if I rob a bank and then come home and and ask for forgiveness, I'll still go to jail if you know they find me. And I still got to give the money back. <laughs> and and David is uh who's he visited by Gad. So David's prophet comes to him the next day. You remember David has a couple interesting interactions with prophets. The big one with Bathsheba, and then now here again. Um, and Gad tells him says, "Okay, here's what God has told me to pass along to you. You've sinned." And because of your sin, there's going to be punishment. So I'm going to give you three different choices. I'm going to let you pick your own punishment. If you ever, if you ever had a father or grandfather that told you, okay, go pick your switch out, <laughs> out from the out from the yard to to get a whooping with, well, it kind of puts it in perspective. So yeah. God God says you can have three things. You can either have many years of famine mm-hmm. that come and kind of ravage your land. You can either have your enemies chase you for several months where you're having to flee before them, where you're probably similar to what happened when Absalom took over. He's right. had to leave the city and his throne, and it's a pretty precarious time. Or he said there can be several days' worth of pestilence in the land or basically a, a plague come upon your land to inflict that punishment. You know, uh, maybe it's from your notes. I feel like sometimes when I read people's notes, then suddenly I'm, I uh, will just take them and make them my own thoughts as though I'm that much of a scholar. Oh, so when I say this... Imitation it, is the highest form of flattery. <laughs> that's okay. It's probably in your notes, but it seems like all three of these punishments would give David uh, the... the, the well, what are we going to say? What are we going to call it? It's going to give David exactly what he hoped that the census would, would do the opposite of. The census was supposed to comfort him that his army was enough, and then now these three options are going to weaken him and make mm-hmm. him be not enough. I think that's a, a credit where credit's due. That's not from my notes. That is a, <laughs> that is a Jonathan Edwards All right. original, so well done. Um, I think that's spot on because essentially David is saying, okay, you know, I can feel safe. I've got this many men, and God says, okay, that's what you wanted. I'm going to take some of those those men away from you now mm-hmm. because— that wasn't what you were supposed to rely on. And I'm going to take away that. Uh, I know we just talked about me and the man after God's own heart, that idol almost in an essence of your, your army. I'm going to take that away from you. Mm. Mm. 
does God ever give anybody else a choice in their punishment? This is a Bible trivia fact that hmm. that I'm thinking about. Um, That's a good question. And to my knowledge, unless you've got someone in mind, my initial thought is no. Yeah, I can't think of one either. So somebody can, if, if there's one out there and you're going, you're screaming in your radio right now saying, hey, it's this. Uh, send me an email, pureandsimplebible at gmail.com, and uh, let us know. In your notes, you I'm just going to directly quote it. It says, this is a part of the Bible that I find hard to swallow. So you kind of put it out there that as you're reading this as a Bible student, you're going, whoa, this is this is hard. What's, what's so hard about it? Well, I'll skip a little bit forward in that uh, at the end of the day, 70,000 men of this story die. And from a person who likes, you know, Disney movie happy endings, this just does not add up. So one, so David, one man sins and 70,000 people pay the price for that. Who didn't make the choice. Uh, yeah, who made. had probably had no knowledge other than, other than that the fact that they were drug out of their homes at some point to go pay a tax or to give an account that, yes, I, I live in your reign and I'm able to draw the sword. Mm. And that's harsh. And one of the other things that I pointed out, too, that makes this even harder, at least in my mind now, the, the text in Second Chronicles makes it a little bit easier, but be that as it may. The very first verse says that God was angry, um, so he put it in David's heart to sin and number the people. So you have a scenario where it seems like God is angry through, for whatever reason we're not told, kind of honestly based on where the story falls, it seems out of the blue. He puts something in David's heart that seemingly causes him to sin. Now again, little disclaimer, Second Chronicles talks about how it was actually Satan that put it in his heart. Whether this is something that God allowed Satan to tempt David with, whether this is something you're... Basically, God is just allowing David to take his own course. It doesn't really matter because the, at the end of the day, our, our goal is to talk about trusting God. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, it's something that seems to be, there's there's no real good reason for anyone to be punished here because all David did was count the people. How is that a big deal? Certainly none of these men who died had any any seemingly thing to do with that decision. And it just feels so unfair. Like, how how could God... God did this himself. It wasn't like something that he allowed it to happen. Like, oh, right. there's, a, there's a storm coming and I'm not going to choose not to protect Israel because of what they did. No, I'm going to bring this pestilence on and I am going to kill 70,000 right. men. Right. And, and I'll just add this little piece of flavor too. You and I speculated about David's motives, but the Bible's silent about it. So again, to, to make it even more unfair is, you know, Second uh, Samuel 24 begins with the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them. We don't have a motive of David for why he did what he did. And so the Bible doesn't give us an answer for a lot of our questions here. You've asked a lot, I've asked a lot, and the Bible's kind of silent on it. What are we to make of that? So that's another hard thing because at the end of the day, like I could throw out a few different things that I've heard or that I've read, reasons for why God did what he did. And I'm, I'm sure we'll probably talk about some of them. But again, at the end of the day, that's not the point, because as you said, the Bible doesn't say. So it's moments like these, again, we'll, we're coming back to doubt. 
that, okay, I don't have the answers. I can't really explain away this difficult thing as well as I'd like to be. And even if I could, I don't know if that's accurate. So what do I do with that? How do I come to terms with a text like that? And I think the only way you can come to terms and trust difficult passages like this is if you've got a close enough relationship to God and a better sense of who he is overall that allows you to feel safe. I'll, um, I'll get ahead of myself. I, I liken it to, to a relationship with my, with my dad. Dad and I have spent a lot of time together traveling overseas, um, here in the States. I can remember as a little bitty kid going, going with him on meetings, and it's one, some of the best memories I've got are from those trips. Um, and he collects old Bibles. So I know that if there's a rare Bible that comes up for him to be able to have in his collection— I know there's nothing that is going to get in the way of him going after and getting that Bible. But let's say later I found out that, well, for whatever reason, Dad did not get that Bible. It was free, it was there, it was within his grasp, but he didn't get it. My initial reaction is probably going to be shock. But after I get over the shock, it's going to be, okay, I know him. I know how important that was to him. So if he chose to not get that Bible, if he chose to prioritize something else, well, man, that something else had to be the most important thing in the world. Okay, I think I know where you're going. Keep so going. We, we, we have to get to that level with God where we can sit back and say, okay, I read this, I see him punishing people, I see what in my mind seems to be harsh punishment, harsh pain, something that seems almost unjust, at least in our finite human minds, and I can sit back and say, okay, but I know God. I know who he is. I've seen and read how he acts in so many other circumstances. I know what's important to him. So if he did that, I know he doesn't change. I know he didn't compromise his other principles. So if he did that, even though I'll never know the answer, he had a good reason for it. You know, what you're describing to me is a complex relationship, that a person is multifaceted, and it's we're not just uh, one attribute. And again, I think about my relationship with anybody, but uh, I live I live with Marissa. I've, I've spent the past 15 years getting to know her, and our relationship is multifaceted. And so there are parts of Marissa that I understand very well, and there's other parts that I don't understand very well. And yet, because of the love and the security in our bond, that secure bond, I can take leaps of faith in why is, why is she acting this way or... What, what's happening tonight? Why are we having this this issue? And in some small, small way, it's, it's making me appreciate that, wow, here I am all these years saying I want to have a relationship with God. And even though the Bible doesn't use that word, I think there are traits like the fact that he calls us his, or he is our father, right? Uh, Jesus Christ calls the church his bride, and those are relationships. So if I want a relationship with God, then that means that it, it can be multifaceted, and I, I don't have to understand all aspects of it. The parts that I do understand I trust and the parts that I don't, because I've trusted in the things I understand, I can get through it. And that's good because you never will understand all of it, unfortunately. like We're, we're never going to have all the answers, and so there's got to be something else to rely on at the end of the day. And I think that's where what we talked about a little bit with attitude comes back into play is that if we know God well enough in the other parts of scriptures that we can understand, you know, we've, we've said it for a long time in other scenarios, but let the, let the simple imp, uh, interpret 
the difficult. Right. And that's a decent principle to remember in that focus on what we can know and let that help us understand what we can't. Well, we can know a lot about who God is from the Bible. The, the Bible is God-centered. And that was something that was also very eye-opening to me as the, we went through commentary after commentary in Nathan's study is that, you know, you focus on, let's say, character studies. And you forget that the main character is actually God. What is this person <laughs> teaching you about God? Um, anyway, fun little tangent, but be that as it may, we can know a lot about God. So we have to rely on those things and have the right attitude of humility and say, okay, I know this about God. I know that I am finite. I am not able to understand the whole picture. So I'm going to have to trust the God who is able to understand the whole thing. And you can see other examples in the scripture, such as Matthew 22, where people didn't take that attitude. You know, there were there were lots of questions posed to Jesus in Matthew 22, but their only goal was to try and trap or disprove God. That's a mm-hmm. whole different ball game than having mm-hmm. doubts. That makes me want to read it because I think in Matthew 22, because they were asking questions not from a place of inquiry, but from a place of just trying to trick him, Let's see, Uh, Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. I feel like that's one of the biggest slaps a religious leader could ever get. You don't know the word that you read about the God that you serve. You know, as a preacher, if if somebody said that to me, I, I probably would not be able to hold my tongue and I'd make a big fool of myself, but... Deep down in my heart, it would it just tore me, you know. It's a pretty crushing open. statement. When <laughs> I mean, especially when you think these are men who have spent, I mean, ever since they were probably at least 12 years old, like their entire lives <laughs> dedicated to this stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they did. They'd missed the, they'd missed the entire point. Um, now, you asked the question, how do we trust God? How do we trust God? Anyone, you've, you've kind of already answered that a little bit, but you, you, you say we're going to come back to it, uh, and then you kind of weave back into the story David's response. So here we are, kind of again, we've kind of zoomed out to bigger thematic issues of doubt and trust. But if we could hone back in for a little bit, I think our listeners are going to want to know which did David choose, and and what were the ramifications of that choice. So I think. Verse 14 on a little ways in Second Samuel really holds the key to this story. What is the key to this story? Well, you're going to have to come back next week if you'd like to hear the answer to it. And uh, Brooks will be back for an exciting conclusion to this Bible study conversation about David in Second Samuel 24 and the valuable lessons that we can learn about trusting God, even in times when we may not understand completely what the will of God is, or that maybe the way that we view the will of God doesn't match some of the other attributes that we've come to trust and appreciate about our Heavenly Father. So please come back and uh, join us. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or SoundCloud or Google Music. And in these platforms, whenever you subscribe to them, then you're going to get them automatically downloaded to your phone and you won't have to keep refreshing again and again 
It'll just come straight there, and you'll be able to listen to the latest episode. So go ahead and do that if you haven't already. And uh, you can always go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to check out the resources that are there for you to use absolutely free. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.